morning. All right, we got an excited crowd this morning. That's good. Um, if you will, turn your Bibles to the book of Acts. We're going to be in chapter 9. It's in between chapter 8 and chapter 10. Y'all with me? Um, how about that? That's better? Please. Thank you. Good. Um, I think the thing that, that encouraged me the most is, is how we've been reading through the Bible together over the last, I don't know, six or eight months. We've been all reading um, the 412 plan and, and just how, really just how God's been speaking uh, throughout to all of us. And I don't know if God's speaking to you like you've been speaking to me, but it's encouraging to be able to go through the Bible and hear other people talking about what they've been reading, what, what God's been speaking to them. And, and it's encouraging to me. Uh, because sometimes um, you feel like you're on an island by yourself, and it's like, I read this. But then when you hear that God spoke to somebody else out of the same text during the same time, it gives me encouragement. I don't know about you guys, but it gives me encouragement. So um, as you're turning to Acts, uh, I got one announcement that I want to give you guys. And uh, we're, we're hoping and praying that, it can, that the date continues to stay the same. But as of right now, August 12th is when we will have our first service in the new school. Woo woo! Everybody happy? <laughs> and uh, that, that is all contingent upon the construction process and all that good stuff. But um, I'll keep you updated, and hopefully next week we'll have a, a firmer date to make sure that is still in concrete. But as of Friday at 5 o'clock, that was the most um, concrete time they could give me. So that's the plan. And uh, so it's exciting. It's another chapter, new chapter for our church. But also, it's it's going to be cool because it's almost. I feel like it's almost like how we get to uh, we close one chapter and we get to see how God writes the next one. And so I'm excited to see what God does next uh, through all of you guys as we see what God's doing. So um, Acts chapter nine. Y'all gonna have to kind of be with me a little bit today because God is. Uh, you know how He tests us, He refines us. I'm no different than that, right? And so he always brings us to a different place where he's wanting, me, wanting us to trust him more, right? I don't know why he does that to me on Sunday morning, but he's like, do you trust me? <laughs> yes, Lord. You sure you trust me? Yes, Lord. And it's like, um, throw that piece of paper away and start over. So that's what we're going to do today. So um, chapter 9 is, is one of my most favorite parts in, in, uh, in the book of Acts. About how it talks about the conversion of Saul. And so um, we're going to read some. And we're going to stop when God says stop. Y'all with me? All right. So Acts chapter 9, verse 1 says, Meanwhile, Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, that he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. We'll stop there for just a second. But if, 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 you've, if you've read your Bible much throughout this process of reading through together, you would have read through John chapter 16 in which Jesus was prophesying to his disciples and telling them exactly what was fixing to go down with Saul coming to persecute them, throwing them in prison all for his name's sake. And so if you, if you like writing down, you can just write reference John 16, 1 through 3, and that is how 
how, how, I love how God's Word's knitted together, right? I love how it's, it, it's all there for a purpose. You might not understand the purpose, but it's there for a purpose. And so from the beginning to the end, God's got a plan how he knits everything together. And so this is a prophetic thing where it's answering the prophecy that Jesus actually put out to his, for his people. But verse 4 says, He fell on the ground. He heard a voice to him say, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. He replied, Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. I, I love that part in Scripture because right there is where Jesus reveals himself to Saul. And he didn't say, just hang out here for a while until you get yourself together. He didn't say any of that. He just said, get up and go, and I'm going to show you what you must do. See, there's action to our salvation, right? There's action steps. The moment we're saved, we're going to do things because God commands it, but also because we want to. And I love the part in this, how, how when Jesus came to Saul, Saul and Paul, they're the same person, okay? But when he came to Saul, he asked him, why are you persecuting me? He hadn't done anything to Jesus personally, has he? He hadn't done anything to Jesus at all. He was persecuting the people that were following Jesus. What did Jesus say to the disciples? Anyone that hurts my little ones are also hurting me. That's what he told his disciples. So if we're persecuting, if we're lying on, if we're slandering, if we're hurting anybody that is a child of God, then we're, all, we're not doing that to them. We're doing it to Jesus. That should change the way we think about how we love each other, how we pursue each other, how we care for one another. Because if we don't care for one another, then that means we're not really caring for Christ. Because if we're in Christ, then that's what we're going to do. Amen? That should change our motivation. That should change our heart. That should also change the way we talk. A lot of people would stop gossiping if they realized they weren't gossiping about this one or that one. They were really gossiping about Jesus. If you start looking at things in context of that, it would change everything in which you do because if you are a believer, you are a follower of Christ, if you do anything maliciously against someone else, you're not really doing it against them. You're doing it against Jesus. That's a hard reality, isn't it, church? It should change the way we motivate, to change the way we live. And see, as I think about this story, and God began to drop things in my spirit this morning about about Saul, you know, Saul was in love with religion. He had been brought up in it. He was, he was head and shoulders above everyone else. He, he knew the old scripture backwards and forwards. He memorized them. He had them in his head. He understood it. He loved the praise that he got. He was in love with being a Pharisee. He was in love with being in that high regard. He was in love with those things. But then when he met Jesus, everything changed. See, his love had to shift. It had to stop being about him and had to shift and be all about Christ. See, when you start following Jesus, our love has to shift. Our love has to change. It can't be about me anymore. It has to be all about Christ. See, most of us, hasn't, we haven't learned how to shift our love. We got a house divided. We love me and we love Jesus. And most of the time, me wins. I'm saying me because I'm talking about me. I ain't talking about you. Most of the time, 
Our selfishness wins. But to be a true, devout follower of Christ, someone that, 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 that is worthy of him giving his life for, is someone who changes everything and, and abandons themselves and follows the one true God. And that's what Paul did. That's exactly what happened in this moment when his eyes, he was blinded by himself, by, by just seeing how good God is. I remember when I met Christ, my eyes was blinded because I didn't know what to do anymore. Like, who I once was wasn't, wasn't good, and I didn't know who I needed to be. So I was standing in this place of blindness. I was standing in this place of, of not knowing. I was just standing still. And a lot of people in the church today, you're just standing still. You might read your Bible, you might come to church, but you're still standing still because you don't know, you don't really know what God wants you to be because you really hadn't felt really in love with Him or you're not really pursuing Him, but you know that you can't go back because you know that, 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 that that's not right. You can't go back to who you once were. So you're stuck in the middle. And so there was Saul, had seen the glory of God and it had blinded him. He's on his face. And Jesus says, now get up and go to the city where I told you. Verse 7 says, the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anything. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could not see anything. So they led him by the hand to Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. So Saul, all of a sudden... He's blinded by the goodness of God. He's blinded by Jesus. This is the man he's been persecuting, all right? He's been persecuting Jesus. He's been telling people, that's a lie. There, there's, there's no truth in that. There's no validity in that. Why are you so stupid to believe such a thing? He's been telling people those things. There, there's, no, there's no validity in what you believe. He's been persecuting Jesus, and then all of a sudden he comes face to face with Christ, and it changes everything because he realized that he was a liar. And as he started following him, I mean, as, as that happened, he, he began, his eyes were blinded, he, and he had to be led somewhere else. It, it just, I wish y'all could be in my head right now at all the thoughts that are just flumming through my head right now. That's why I have notes. But what the cool thing is, is the moment he was saved, see, he couldn't have made it where God wanted him to be if he didn't have no one to lead him there. And I was telling some of my brothers this past week, the church, we have done a horrible job. We say we're supposed, be, we're supposed to be fishers of men. But we've been catching and releasing instead of retaining. We catch somebody, somebody wants to follow Jesus, they raise their hand. We come and we say, man, that's awesome. And we cut you loose and it's like, hey, we'll see you when you see you. See, so many people don't make it. So many people don't make it past the first step because they have no one to lead them. That's what discipleship is all about, church, and that's what the church has been lacking for so long. We need someone to reach out and grab me by the hand and lead me to where I need to be. Amen? And that's what God's called us to be. And all of us say, well, I'm not. Oh, now, hold up. I, I, can't, I can't disciple nobody because I'm not, I'm not spiritually strong enough. I'm, I'm, them, them old boys there, didn't, they didn't even see Jesus. They just heard his voice, and they led him to where he needed to be. What's our excuse? See, discipleship is what's missing in our churches today. That's why our churches are dead, because how can you tell someone that what they need to do when no one's there to lead them to the next step? He says in Matthew 28, the end, the end he, says, he says, 
What does he say? Therefore, go make disciples on all the earth, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Do not be afraid. I will be with you. That's what he says. That's the last thing he tells the disciples. That's, where we're, that's what we're supposed to do, but yet we, we make that as if, if we have time, we can do those things, right? See, Paul makes it to Damascus not on his own might, not on his own will, but because someone cared enough to not leave him where he was at and lead him there. How, how many of us in this room, we know someone that's, we know someone that's blinded by themselves? We know someone that maybe has professed Christ. We know someone that maybe has, has said, I'm following Jesus, but yet they're going through a hard time. They're going through a tough time. They're struggling right now in their faith. They're struggling right now in their walk. And they're sitting there and they're doggy paddling. They're, 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 they're taking on water time and time again. It's time for some of us to reach out our hand and say, let me walk with you. Let me pull you out of that pit. Let's walk together. But instead, we don't want to do that because we get dirty. See, sometimes... You got to reach down in the water and get wet too to pull somebody out. And you don't want to do that. Because that's messy. See, but I love the, the conversion of Paul because he would have not gotten to the place that God wanted him if it had not been for the people God put in his path. I'm so thankful for the people that God put in my path. I'm so thankful for the people that God put in around me to lead me, to guide me, to direct me, because if it hadn't been for them, who knows where I'd be today. And a lot of us have the same story. No one discipled me. I know, I've been a little crybaby a lot. Oh, nobody's discipled me. I need to be what I never had. Amen? I never had that. I know what it meant to not be discipled by anyone. I had to let the Holy Spirit disciple me through correction because I'm hard-headed. When, amen. I wouldn't know amen time. <laughs> but that's the thing. Like we, we got to be able to do life with each other and just help walk with each other along the path. Not, but what if Paul had resisted it? What if Paul had said, uh-uh, boss, I got this. I got this. He would have never made it to Damascus. He would have starved in the wilderness. And there's a lot of us that are starving because we won't take the time to let somebody help us. We won't let somebody walk with us. No, we got this. We got this figured out. And every day gets worse. Every day you get further from God. Every day. Because you're wandering, blind. And God's put people in your path that love you, that care about you, that want to lead you, but you've got to accept it. That pride is a bad thing. As I think about that, Thank God for the men that loved Paul enough to bring him to Damascus. In verse 10, in Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. See, there's someone else that God placed in the path of Saul another, named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarshish, named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias to come and place hands on him to restore his sight. Verse 13, Lord, that's, that was probably more like, Lord. Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man 
all the harm he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from chief priest to arrest all who come in your name. See, here now, Ananias, is, is he, I don't think this is a complaint. I just think he's trying to make sure that God's making the right decision. You ever told something in prayer to God to kind of, all right, God, I want you to shore this up. Make sure that I'm not going on me, I'm going on you. You ever done that? I do it all the time. Verse 15 says, but the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and, the, and their kings. And to the people of Israel, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. He placed his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. And he got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Man, that, that's awesome right there. That's awesome. But see, God also placed someone else in Saul's path to lead him to his purpose. He put Ananias there. See, sometimes we can only lead somebody so far, and then we've got to realize that we've, it's outside of our realm, and we've got to pass him on to somebody else. Don't pass him to the preacher. Just pass him to somebody else. That's, that's what we do. Uh -huh. This has been two hard weeks. I had to give up two, time, two things that I've got to do. I, I, I haven't been able to go fishing two days in a row. It's time for the preacher to handle this little boy here. No, God handed him off. And, so, and I love Ananias. Ananias... He knew that it was risky. He knew that it was going to be, that, that this, if I'm not hearing right, I could die. Plus also, Ananias was kind of like, God, are you serious? Like, you saving this man? Look at what he's done to you. Look at what he's done to, to, our, to our fellow brothers. Look how he's persecuted our church. He's done all these things to us. He, I know in me, I would have kind of been like, I don't know if he's worthy of, of salvation. I don't know if he's not worthy of being able to see. As long as that joker can't see, he can't get me. I mean, that's just how I think. And so he tells Ananias, go. Pretty much he's like, shut up and go do what I told you to do. So he gets up and he goes. He's obedient. See, Ananias is obedience. I love that. In the face of difficulty, he was still obedient. In the face of fear, he was still obedient. Who knows about, about how long it would have taken Saul to regain his sight if Ananias had not been obedient. And so Ananias comes and he lays hands on Saul and he prays. And I love the way he prays. He didn't say, oh, you crazy man, Saul. Oh, you murderous Saul. He says, brother Saul. He accepts him before he even knew he had accepted him. See, there's a lot of people before we lay hands, before we pray, before we even come to them, we got to know that we accept them as they are. Saul hadn't showed any sign that he had changed. He hadn't showed any remorse. He was blind. He was just helpless. We got to be able to extend that hand to people and not even, they hadn't even showed that they've changed yet, but say, you're my brother in Christ, and I'm going to walk with you right now, even though you don't show those signs right now. But because I'm walking with you, you're going to show them because God's faithful and God's going to move. And not only are you praying, but I'm praying for you as well. See, that's the kind of people God's called us to be. And because of those two men, because of the love those two men showed, 
Because of how those two men love Jesus, Saul, Paul, was used in a mighty, mighty way. He was used in a way almost like no other. He wrote two-thirds of the, of the New Testament. I mean, he was used in a, he, he planted so many churches. He, he endured so much stuff. But because of the love that was deposited in him, because of how they loved, he loved God even more. See, I think a lot of the problem we had, the love that, that we don't have for God, is because we had never experienced love from someone else for Jesus. And see, when you walk with someone else, when, you, when you're walking with other people, when you're engaged in the process of discipleship, when you're walking with someone else that couldn't get it on their own, it's showing them, hey, I love you more than myself. I love you more than my, my own priorities. I love you more than this. I'm taking time out of my day to invest in you because I see kingdom value in you, and I want to see you do great things for the glory of God. But for us to let them come to church and sit on the pew, it's like we're saying, oh, I love you, but just on Sunday. You know what I'm saying? How many Christians have you walked in a grocery store by and they wouldn't even speak to you on Monday? Now, I want to be honest. I'm, I, I was, God's still purifying me a little bit. But early in my walk, I was rough. And I remember going to the grocery store, and there was this lady that hugged my neck on church on Sunday. And I come through the store, and she was with somebody else that was different in the community. And, and I was known as this man that, that went to church on Sunday but drank on Monday. I mean, I was known as that man. I was playing the game. When I got saved, it was radical. I was starting to change. And so, I, I mean, I didn't meet a stranger. I was, and I seen her in the grocery store, and when she saw me, it was like I was a convict. I mean, she was with another prominent lady in the church, and it was like fear struck her face that she was scared I was going to come talk to her. So I went and talked to her. <laughs> and, man, it was like I had leprosy. I mean, I tried to hug her, and it was more like, more like this. And, and, and I said, well, and I remember making the statement. I said, you don't act like you love me today like you did yesterday. So did I do something at church yesterday? And she was like, no, no, you're, you're fine, you're fine, you're fine. And the other lady was just kind of looking at me. And I just, I just said, hey, and walked on. But I want to tell you, that, that got me for a while. How can you love me on, on Sunday and hate me on Monday? I don't understand that because you don't have the love for Jesus like you say you do. And so as I, thought, as, I, as I began to read through this, and this began to resonate with me this morning, one of the common themes that kept coming is love. The, the three men, how, how they really they cared. They might, have, they might not have loved Saul, but they cared enough for him to bring him there. How Ananias, how he loved Jesus enough to go. And then how Paul, how he, man, how he just ran 150 miles an hour for the gospel, how he loved God. How do you do things so that love compels you? You've got to remember what God's done for you. You've got to think about who Saul is. Saul's a man who was murderous. Saul was a man that killed innocent people for his own agenda. Saul was a man who was wretched, who was blinded by religion. Saul is a man that come face to face with Jesus, and Jesus should have killed him dead. 
But he gave him grace anyway. And he extended that grace. And not only did he extend that grace, but he said, I value enough not just to save your life, but I value enough to use you in my kingdom. And we look at Saul and we think about how wretched of a man he is, but we are Saul. God's done so much for us, church. God's done so much. No, we hadn't killed anybody, but we have in our thoughts. We, we, hadn't, we haven't committed adultery with, with anyone, maybe not, but, but, but we have in our thoughts. We haven't stolen anything, we have, but, but, but we've done wretched things in our thoughts if we haven't acted on it. And God says that if we think about it, we might as well have done it. Because it comes, if you think it, it comes from your heart. See, it all comes from a place of love. As I think about what Saul's done, I think about, about how God moved him, how, how big of a dramatic change it was. See, that's what salvation does. When you see who Jesus is, it's a dramatic change, and you can't go back. That's genuinely what it is. And we try to, to, to romance it a little bit. We try to, to, to justify why we don't change like why we think we should. We make excuses about, well, everybody grows at different paces. Yeah, you do. But when you truly see who Jesus is, everything changes. If you was on death row, fixing to be fixing, fixing to be killed, you're laying down. They got the needle fixing to inject it into your body. You're fixing to die. And somebody pardons you and says, hey, I'm going to save your life, but you got to serve me. You're going to be thankful for that. You're going to be excited for that. You're going to be praising him. You're going to serve him not out of obligation, not be like, oh, man, I wish you would have just let me die. No, you're going to be happy. And that's the, one of the biggest problems we have in the church is because we're not serving God out of love, out of compassion. We're serving God out of obligation. We feel like we owe it to God because he's done something for me. Hey, let me tell you, a little quick, let me tell you something real quick. I don't want you, nor did God want you, to serve his church out of obligation. And if you feel obligated, you can turn your shirt in today. That's the reality. And that's how God feels. He don't want you to serve him out of obligation because it's not the right heart. It's not the right, it's not the right motives. Everything's wrong it's all because reality, you're divided. It's not about, you don't love God, you're divided. It ain't all about him, it's about me and him. And when we are serving God out of obligation, that's because I have become more important than him. And that's the way it is. It's all about love. And we, we equate our love for God like we love our dog. Some of us love God like we love our in-laws. Come on now. I mean, some of us love God like, like we love cake. And he's not talking about that type of love. Yes, that's love, but there's different levels of love. Some of you don't even love Jesus like you love your spouse. And so the reality is to love Jesus, to be able to, to abandon everything but, and, and, and live for him 100% and be sold out is that renewing love every single day. See, Paul lived his entire life to give glory to God. You want to kiss, we complain, I complain. God, oh, what, I, what about this I've struggled with and that I'm struggling with. I don't care what you went through in life. It can't be nothing compared to what my boy Paul went through. Paul went through shipwreck. Paul got snake bit. Paul got, he got he, the, his, his own people that, that he thought loved him beat him. 
He, he went in a town to share the gospel. He went to the, in a town and shared the gospel, and he got beat till they thought he was dead. He was just unconscious, and he woke up, and what did he do? He went back into town to tell them about Jesus. I mean, that's, that's love right there. I mean, Paul was on fire. He, he was beaten. He was falsely accused. He was imprisoned. Man, he, that man was in prison. Y'all with me? He's in prison, and he's writing letters to encourage other people. He wasn't, woe is me. No, he was saying, I'm in here. I'm in chains, but God's still good. I'm in a bad place, but God's still good. I'm hurting right now, but God's still good. But that only comes through love for God. And you won't have that love for God by coming into church every Sunday posing, putting the fake on. And you might be faking me out, but you ain't faking him out. He knows your heart. And the only reason that Saul was used in the way that he was used because of his intimate love for God. See, that's the level of love that God wants. He wants you to love him intimately. See, my women, the women up in here know what intimacy is because that's what y'all want. And we men ain't got a clue what that means. But we try. We try, but we don't know. I tell my wife all the time, you got to spell this stuff out. I'm, I'm too dumb to know what, what you want. Tell me what you want. But see, intimacy is the experience of knowing and being known by another person. But see, you only get intimacy by being real. See, a woman wants intimacy, and it scares us to death. You know why? Because we have to be vulnerable enough to share our failures. We got to be intimate. We got to be bold enough to share our struggles. How many of you men have ever shared with your wife about your struggle with lust? Don't raise your hand. I ain't got time for counseling. How many of you shared stuff with your spouse, like deep, dark-rooted sin? How much have you shared that with your spouse? Because if you can't be intimate with your spouse that you can't see, how are you going to be intimate with the God that you can't? And he wants this intimacy with you because that's what's so crazy is we think we're hiding junk from God, but he knows the dirtiness of our heart. So why not tell him he knows it? It's just like my little boy. Bless his heart, he's already learning to lie. And I'm, I'm, he's up there and he's... <laughs> this, I had, yesterday was daddy's day. Me and him hung out all day long and, and we were down there at the sheep pen and... Payson took off running after, he loved the chicken. He was running after the chickens. He's a typical boy. Sheep pen is wet. It done rain. It's nasty. You can imagine what the sheep pen smells like. And Payson, army crawls under the fence. I was like, boy, what are you doing? Chicken, chicken. I'm like, we act like my church members. Come back over here. <laughs> Get him back over there where I'm at. And, and, and he goes to go, go back over there again. He comes back, and I said, Payson, why, how are you so dirty? He looks down. He has his hands like this. I don't know. I said, Payson, did you crawl under that fence? No, sir. <laughs> did you chase that chicken? No, sir. I saw you, Payson. So did you crawl under that fence? Just as innocent? No, sir. <laughs> because he was worried about the tone of my voice, about the consequences he was going to have. See, that's why we're not honest with God. 
because we're worried that if we're vulnerable, then there's going to be consequences to pay. And the reality is, our lack of vulnerability is hurting us more than our transparency. Because our lack of vulnerability is holding us back from experiencing the love that the Father wants to give us. But yet, we're just backing away. We're pushing him back, saying, I don't want that love. I'd rather stay where I am because I'm okay. He wants that intimate relationship with you. He wants that intimacy. And until you have that real intimate relationship with God, you won't go to great lengths to love him or to, ple- or to please him. And it's all, see, that's what it's all about when I was thinking about Paul and God just kind of laid that on my heart about him being intimate. He was intimately in love with God. And you only become intimately in love with God realizing of how jacked up you were before he came and saved you. Now, if God came up in here tonight, today and blinded every single one of us, it would be a bunch of wailing and crying and all this going on. Hopelessness. Three days now. Not, not in three hours, not in three minutes. Three days. He had to sit there blind for three days. But in three, on the third day, he came and he gave you sight again. All was lost. All was hopeless. What would you do? Would you be excited? Or would you be like, what's up, Jesus? Thank you for that. We're going back to work. No, you, you would be like, thank you. So what can I do? What can I, thank you. you there will be a, an appreciation in your heart forever. So the reason we don't love him like we say we do is because we don't appreciate the sacrifice that he paid for us. And I know this might be some hard truth for you today, but the reality is Paul was loving on Jesus because he understood the grace that was given to him. Do you understand the grace that God gives to you? Do you understand the grace that God gives to you? You're going to screw up tomorrow. Even those of you that just said, no, I'm not, in your head. You're going to mess up tomorrow. But his grace is sufficient. If you love him, if you truly love him, you truly are committed your life to him, if you're truly following him, his grace is sufficient. And don't expect him to pour his grace on your life if you're just running in sin trying to just manipulate God. But when you truly love Jesus and you truly want to follow him, when you mess up and you feel that remorse, his grace is sufficient because he pours it on you. See, Paul experienced that grace. And he knew what it meant to experience that grace. And that love for him compelled him to live a life dedicated to him all out. No excuses. No matter what happened in life, he was sold out to the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Nothing will change in your life, church until you realize that you cannot follow Jesus and not be intimate with him. See, God wants to be intimate with you. Christ has already done the work. See, that's what's what's awesome. You don't have to do nothing. You don't have to do a thing. See, when Jesus died on the cross... Y'all check me. Y'all read it. Y'all go home and read this tonight. When Jesus died on the cross, the veil that separated God from his people was torn, praise God. And when that got torn, we got access to God. We get get to be right there with him so we can talk with him. We can walk with him. That grace can be poured on me daily. See, that's what's awesome about it. 
Christ has already done the work on the cross to get us so that we can be in the presence of God. You don't have to work hard enough. You don't have to be good enough. You just have to love Jesus enough to admit that you're jacked up and you have problems and you want him more than you want your problems. You want him more than you want your pride. You want him more than you want everything in your life. That's what intimacy with God looks like. And Christ has done the work so that you can get there. He is inviting you. Church, he's inviting you. Each person in this room, he is inviting all of us into an intimate relationship with him. Each one of us. To enjoy that. But you know what I've learned? Is you can't have intimacy without a struggle. Yeah, you can love. But you can't appreciate what you say you love until you almost lose it. Y'all with me? I know many times when I was early when I was walking with God, how I would go through trials, and oftentimes I would want, I'm like, God, this is too hard. This is too hard. I can't do this. I, I can't do this. And I was wanting to quit. But something in me kept saying, keep pressing. I kept praying. I kept seeking. And God delivered me from what I was struggling with. And thank God he did. But you know what that did? It gave me a greater love for him. I love him so much more today than I did 10 years ago, praise God. Because I'm walking with him and he's delivering me constantly from my problems. I'm being vulnerable with God and saying, God, I can't handle this addiction. You got to take it. God, I can't handle this, 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 this lustful thought that I have. God, take it. There's a point in my life that I, got, I, was, I was looking at pornography. God, I can't get away from this unless you take it. And as I seen God's faithfulness through the struggle, and as he took those things out, as I began to be intimate and vulnerable with him, then my love for him grew. My faith grew. I, I trusted him more. See, you can't have intimacy without trust. And that goes with your relationship with anybody. And so a lot of reasons why we don't have intimacy with God isn't because you don't love him, it's just because you don't trust him. Because you're scared to let go, because if you let go, then you're not in control. He's in control. See, that's what it means to follow Jesus, to let him be in control. This might be deep for some of you this morning, but the reality is, for Paul to be the man that was converted and for him to stay this man that had been on fire for God, the intimacy of love inside of his heart had to remain the entire time of his life. And Paul didn't just die of an old age and was planted out there in a cemetery. No, he died a very gruesome death because he professed Christ to the end. What's going to be said about you in the end? I ain't worried about today. Pretty clothes you got on, the nice smile on your face. What's going to be said about you when you die? Lord God, I could die tomorrow. And how great that would be. But what's going to be said about you when you die? Is it going to be known that you are a man or a woman that, that, that you intimately love God? That you loved Him so much that you abandoned all of you in order to get more of Him? See, so many of us are sitting in the same place where Jesus found us is because we love ourselves more than we love Him. You won't grow until you love Him more. 
And church, I'm just telling you that it's crazy because intimacy with God always means that things in your life, they're going to test you. They're going to test your faith more than anything. Life is going to be crazy. Life is going to be rocky. It's not ever going to be smooth. But see, it's crazy because when we trust God in the right now, right where I am, right in the middle of the struggle, that's when it draws you in closer to Him. See, if it wasn't for the struggles, we wouldn't draw near to God. If it wasn't for the struggles, we wouldn't say, God, I want more of you. If it wasn't for the struggles, we wouldn't let go of ourselves. See, so many of us are going through struggle after struggle. Maybe it might be that God's trying to get you to let go of you. Maybe you're going through all these struggles for him to, to maybe get you to open your eyes to see that you still love you more than you love him. Because the whole goal, the whole reason that you go to heaven is not because of what Jesus done for you. That was offered. He's done that for you. That, he made it available. But the way you go to heaven is how you love Jesus. There's a many a man and woman. And you'll hear me preach this until the day I die. And if you don't like it, go find another church. But the reality is, so many people come to church every Sunday and they're going to die going to church every Sunday. And they're not going to know who Jesus is because they won't let go of themselves. You don't love Jesus. You love the, the idea of Jesus. You're infatuated with Jesus. You don't love him because you hadn't gave him nothing. I, I, I was infatuated with my wife, but she didn't know that I cared about her until I sent her flowers for the first time. See, so many of us are infatuated with Christ, and we don't love him because we're not giving up nothing. We're not really dedicating our life to him. That's why, we're, that's why our lives are prayerless. That's why we don't read his word. That's why we give all these doggone excuses. We give all this stuff, but the whole thing boils down to is I don't love Jesus like I say I do. And if you want to see the face of my Savior, then by God, you better love him here while you can. That's where it boils down to. You can blame your job. You can blame your spouse. You can blame your background. You can blame everything else on why you are not where you need to be with Jesus. But it all boils down to the love. You know what's crazy? It's the very thing you're scared of telling God he already knows. He knows your prayerlessness. He knows how you've lied to everybody about your walk. He knows how empty you feel inside. He knows all these things. You're holding on to this stuff that he knows. And all he's wanting is for you to be real about where you are so that he can come in and say, I know. I know. You know, we planted this church. so much to reach lost people and it still is but the longer that we do this the more I realize how God's people have missed it and the more I realize how we do this every Sunday but our hearts are so far from God and we play this religious game 
but it's meaningless unless you love God. And when I say I love you, I, I mean it. And there's nothing my heart breaks more than to see a man or a woman that claims Jesus, but their life don't reflect it. And if my heart breaks for that, I can only imagine how my Savior feels. Well, I hadn't died for you. I'm all about being transparent. So maybe it's time for you to be transparent with God. Maybe it's time for you to come to this altar and be, allow yourself to be intimate with God for one time in your life and feel the grace that He wants to bestow upon you. Maybe you've got glamour and you want to be used by God in a powerful way. You won't be used at all until you're real with Him, until you're intimate with Him, and until you love Him like you say you do. And I pray all the time, God, make them. God, make them. Because making someone is easy. But God says, Jeremy, they've got to love me. And I can't make you love anyone. So if you will, stand with me. And as the worship music plays, you do business with God. If God's calling you to a deeper commitment with him, I'm going to be standing over here. If you need to give your life to Jesus for the first time, I'm going to be standing over here. Be bold enough to come meet me. If God's stirring your heart and you're struggling, come and pray. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let's be glad in it. Amen. Let's pray. Father, as we come to you right now, Lord, I pray, God. Lord, I pray for your spirit to fall heavy on us. And, God, we would really question ourselves. And not about this religion, but do we love you? Have I let my guard down? Am I vulnerable around you, Lord? Am I intimate with you? I want you to be intimate with me. I want you to love me, but I'm not giving you that same respect back. God, I pray that you would show us the things in our, in our life, God, that's holding us back from being intimate with you. God, I pray that you would comfort us in our struggle right now. Lord, there's a lot of people in this room that's struggling through different things, through family members hurting them, through through addiction through God there's all kind of things I, I don't I can't name them all and they're wondering if you're going to be faithful God I pray to today that you would move in their hearts and show them that through the struggle they're trying you're trying your best to show them how to love you so God I ask you and I beg you to move don't let us leave here stubborn and disobedient children but father I beg you to help us be obedient men and women who love you like we say we do. Because I know when you do that, Lord, you will surely pour a blessing on us that we cannot hold on to. So God, we ask you to move. In Jesus' name.